say we skip the formalities, uh, skip the explanations, skip the introductions, just go dive right into the movie. Oh, uh, uh, yeah, that sounds good to me. We might as well uh, introduce ourselves, though. What? No, uh, that's, see, that's going way backwards. I think just I want to, like, scare people. I want them not to feel safe with this podcast. Just, you know, think that they're not listening to something and then bam. Yeah, just There's make them feel. Yeah, well, just make them feel like that they. Oh, I must have accidentally started this podcast in the middle and keep trying to go back to the beginning, but it's just always me going. Let's just dive right into the movie, and it's very you know flustering. Yeah. Anyways, everyone. Hello, I'm Jason. I'm Laura, and welcome to Come Back a Star, a movie award railroad journey. Uh, yeah, heist. I get no hostage situation. Yeah, We're, I guess so. I guess. We are watching every Best Picture winner and nominee from 1927 onwards, and this episode is number zero two, uh, two nine, I guess. Yep. Uh, Shanghai Express. Yeah, I think this is probably one of the more famous titles of this year. It's like, I guess, uh, Joseph von Sternberg's fourth uh, collaboration with Hill's mistress, uh, Marlena Dietrich. And oh. it's, a, it's a wild ride. Mr. Toad's not there, but it's a certified wild ride on the rails. Absolutely. So, um, yeah, do you have any background before we go into this movie too too strongly? Um, Let's see. Like I said, uh, uh, fourth collaboration. Of course, we saw their first collaboration with uh, last year's uh, group of movies, The Blue Angel. Um, this is one of their more popular ventures and uh, really has, like we were discussing, that kind of Agatha Christie feel if it was, you know, filmed by a crazy expressionist German type. Um, yeah, there was uh, some censorship issues with a few of the characters. Um, oh. Yeah, uh, which we can get into later on. But uh, yeah, mostly. And uh, it was banned in China, actually. Oh, really? Yeah, because of the political nature of uh, oh, of the plot. Right. So, yeah, a little bit, a little slice of scandal this movie is. Uh Oh, so shall we get into it? Well, actually, let me let me explain what we do on this podcast. Might as well. I feel like I say that line every single uh, episode. (laughs) Like, oh, hey, wait a minute. We're so jazzed to get into the movie. It it is. It is. Yeah. Yeah. Um, So what we do on this podcast is that first we're going to review the plot and give our our own little insights. And then we're going to rate this movie on several categories, including acting, writing, cinematography, and overall, meaning how well do those three components work together? And we're also going to give the movie a chance for some bonus points based off of costumes and set, its boldness, its legacy, its longevity, and any kind of like technical um, achievements. Right. And... Uh, shall I get right into the summary now? Let's do this. Okay. Uh, taking place during the Chinese Revolution of 1932, which is why it was banned in China, mm-hmm. Joseph von Sternberg's uh, Shanghai Express opens at a train station. We meet the first-class passengers, a flustered old British woman named Mrs. Haggerty who only cares about her dog, Waffles, and whom she tries to smuggle aboard into the passenger compartment because she can't stand the thought of waffles in the uh, the baggage. Is he like a little Pekingese? Like I could, he's one of those dogs that kind of looks a little bit like a, a cute little alien from Star Wars. Yeah, um, I don't know. I don't know what breed it is. It's a cute little scruffy dog. Yep. Um, 
In addition to Mrs. Haggerty, we have the judgmental reverend uh, Carmichael. He was also a character who uh, got them in trouble with the censors because he's kind of, you know, portrayed as sort of a ridiculous prude throughout, even though he does have a change of heart. He does. He does. He he develops as a character, which I was not expecting at all. He's such a cookie cutter uh, character when you first see him. Yeah, very much. Very stuffy and rigid. And uh, also we have the gambling addict, Sam Salt, which is kind of like our token American. Our token Yank. And yeah. uh, um, oh, Eugene, what's his name, uh, plays him, who I think was also the dad in um, uh, My Man Godfrey. And he's good. He's good at playing those kind of loudmouth, know-nothing American types. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, it's it's not probably not the most positive portrayal of, of Americans on here with Sam Salt, but probably kind of accurate. Uh, maybe maybe a little bit. Eugene Pallet, that's right. Okay, so Sam Salt played Eugene Pallet, and let's see. Um, we also have disgraced French officer Major Lenard. Apparently, why he was disgraced was explained in an original version, but. That was cut by the censors. So, oh, really? Still don't know. Yeah, if you notice, he never talks about how he was disgraced. So that's true. Well, you we only learn about it later in yeah, the movie, right? So at this point, he's just uh, looks like a typical officer who can't speak much English. Does he speak any English throughout the movie? I mean, I think a word here or there, but mostly he relies on Marlena to. Uh, yeah, that's translate. right. Uh, let's see, and. Lastly, of the somewhat minor characters, background characters, uh, the mysterious salesman, Eric Baum, who is uh, an invalid hypochondriac, basically, who insists that they travel with the window closed. Oh, that's right. Has them turn off the fans when they're in the dining car, which makes it sound very stuffy. Yeah. Wouldn't want to be on on board with him. Yeah, so... um, these are like one note comedic background characters next to the main four characters aboard, which are uh, Marlena Dietrich's Shanghai Lily and Anna Mae Wong's Hui Fei, Clive Brooks's Donald Harvey, Captain Donald Harvey. Yes, please. Captain Dr. Donald Harvey. Yes, Captain Doctor. And Warner Olin's Henry Chang. And yes, it is. It is a little bit of yellow face here. Yeah, and anyone who knows movies of this era is probably familiar that with Warner Oland as being kind of the Hollywood standby yellow face actor. Unfortunately, he was most popular for playing uh, Charlie Chang in the Charlie Chan, uh, Charlie Chan, yeah, Charlie Chan series of uh, detective movies that were pretty popular in the 30s. Unfortunate. It's unfortunate, yeah. I mean... His like acting is is fine and everything. He doesn't go over the top with some of the kind of cruder characterizations, but it's still just not a yeah, great just, precedent. Just, just, just a principle. Get, just get a Chinese actor. Just get a Chinese actor. They, I mean, as we see by Wong's presence, they existed. <laughs> yeah, and she she does a fantastic job. Yeah, anime Wong is great. Uh, she's one of those figures that you know she's pretty legendary because she was a Chinese actress who made a career for herself at a time when that was even more difficult than today. And uh, I mean, she really earns it. She has great presence. Uh, just, and she, I feel like she has really great chemistry with uh, Dietrich, who she mm-hmm. shares most scenes mm-hmm. with. They both have the same kind of just sort of kind of offbeat, not really taking much of anything that goes on very seriously sort of vibe. 
Right. And another thing I liked about her is that they they didn't have her play as a Chinese woman stereotype. No. Yeah. She was her own character, her own woman. And. uh, Yeah, just really owned it. I wonder if if uh, if Ms. Huang had to kind of fight for that a little bit, I can see some pretty crummy directors and producers saying like, no, 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 be more Asian. Yeah, exactly. I'm. You know, I think she did do some interviews later on. Those would be interesting to look up to see what her perspective on it all is, because, yeah, I'm sure she did. Yeah, she's a hero. She is a hero. But Carmichael, our stuffy, judgmental uh, reverend, is quick to condemn Lily and Huifei, or Huifei, who are traveling together as notorious coasters. In other words, contemporary courtesans. My goodness. I know. My my monocle just popped oh. right out of my eye. <laughs> Yet Shanghai Lily was once named Madeline and has fought and had fallen madly in love with Captain Harvey, who loved her back. Through a misunderstanding, always a misunderstanding, they parted for five years, and in that time she became Shanghai Lily. Yeah, just Stringing all sorts of wealthy gentlemen along and... It took more than one man to change my name to Shanghai Lily. Yeah, so it's such, a, such depravity. That, a lot of that depravity. Doc, that uh, Reverend Carmichael is displeased. He's very displeased and he keeps like walking past their uh, car, like staring at them, like very accusingly. Interestedly. Interestedly. <laughs> um yeah, I we, I do wish we'd spend more time with Carmichael, even though we do get a good deal of him later on, because he's a fascinating type. Yeah, he's he could be worse as a character. He, I mean, he's terrible, but you do get some sympathy for him later on. And at the same time, you wonder what's really going on. Why are you so fixated on these ladies? Like, <laughs> so it could have been t- his character could have gone in any sort of direction. So I guess that's the point. Yeah. yeah. But they, they chose a pretty good one. I think, I think you know, and I think that probably was because of the censors, because I have a feeling Sternberg probably wanted to, like, turn him into a creep. And the mm. studios is like, no, no, the reverend's got to be a nice guy. But they do it in a way that's not too nauseating. Yeah, that's true. Um, And going to our uh, other main character, at first we learn little about the aloof Henry Chang except that his mother was Chinese and his father was white. So it's half yellow face. Half yellow face. That's not any Any better, better. really. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, we also learned that he's ashamed of his white blood, which, you know, he probably should be in 1932 China, especially. Um, Sam Salt, of course, the bumbling American gambling addict takes a lot of offense at that. But I'm like, well, look at you, buddy. Yeah, he's not the most likable character, and he's really offended that uh, that Henry Chang is upset yeah. about his white blood. <laughs> Another thing that you pointed out, actually, is that his mother was Chinese, but his father was white, and yet his last name is Chang. So maybe he took his mother's name. Maybe he did take his mother's name and his father's first name. Who knows? Right, right. Uh, so, uh, however... After the Chinese government stops the train and arrests a revolutionary, it's revealed that this revolutionary was Chang's right-hand man and that Chang himself is running the revolution. Twist! Dun-dun-dun. And I guess they don't really know who this guy is, and it's kind of interesting that it turns out to be the half-white guy. Well, it's it's funny because, you know, Hui Fei is like, I knew I seen, seen him 
from someplace, you know, he's, uh, you know, there's a like a $25,000 award on his head. And I'm like, so how the heck was he able to get on this train? But uh, he does yeah. indeed. A little, little bit of a plot hole. I mean, we we'll, have to realize we'll this, was, this was pre-internet. It was probably, you know, not everyone had access to his picture, maybe. 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 Uh, so. At like another stop with from the train, the uh, the revolutionaries stop the train and Chang and his men take the passengers hostage, interrogating each one in turn to see if they are rich or have rich friends. And uh, this is in order to, I guess, do a prisoner exchange. They're going to hold a yeah. hostage and exchange uh, the hostage for Chang's right hand man who was taken in. Um and that's also during these interviews that uh, Chang discovers that Captain Dr. Harvey is a surgeon and is about to operate on Shanghai's uh, governor general. And so he decides that Captain Dr. Harvey is the perfect bargaining chip to get his right hand man back. Yep. And meanwhile, Chang also tries to insinuate himself into a tryst with both Lily and Hui Fei to both women's disgust. Uh, when Harvey overhears Lily objecting to Chang's attentions, he storms in and punches Chang. Uh, Chang does not forgive this insult and delays freeing Harvey when officers arrive for the exchange. Uh, Lily, who'd been observed by Carmichael praying for Harvey's safety throughout the night, corners Chang and demands to know why he hasn't released Harvey. Uh, Chang says that in payment for the insult of punching him, Chang will blind Harvey before releasing him. And, uh, Lily knows he's going to follow through on this because earlier when uh, he had been interrogating all of passengers, unlucky, mysterious salesman Eric Baum is revealed to be an opium salesman. And mm -hmm. uh, which uh, Chang says in if a Chinese man is caught doing that, the government executes them, but they'll only brand him and they do brand uh, this poor guy. So Lily knows that, you know, he's not playing around. He actually right. intends to blind Harvey. Um so desperate, Lily convinces him not to by promising to be his mistress. This is enough for a horny old Chang who releases Harvey unharmed. Uh, Chang tells Harvey that Lily would rather stay with Chang and makes Lily say the same to him. Harvey, who's kind of adult, buys this story and face value and is infuriated that, uh, you know, Lily's so treacherous, apparently. Yeah, it's um, it's all misunderstandings that could be resolved in about like a five minute conversation. But, but these two like to play games with each other, uh, Harvey and Lily. I yeah. mean, Lily just does not really want to. Well, I mean, she just doesn't want to have to explain herself to him, I think, which I can understand. It's like, look, I've led this life. I'm not going to like, you know, conceal it. Like, are you down with it or not? Like, right, right. And um, it's kind of. It's kind of funny. It's like a, an age old Hollywood trope, I guess, to have this like really fraught romantic relationship happening on the train and they're falling in love again. The quote Marlena Dietrich <laughs> and Blue Angel um, in the midst of a revolution and a very stressful situation. They're kind of like still worried about like, well, does he love me or does he not? Of course, you know, I mean, because a character like Shanghai Lily she can afford, you know, they could afford to portray her as, you know, a slinky femme fatale who doesn't really give a crap about what she's done. But she does have to have that weak soft spot for uh, the upright uh, citizen guy. Right. And, you know, and I think, you know, Dietrich's best acting, I think, because it's hard to have chemistry with Clive Brooks. <laughs> I'm sorry. He's he I think we he was uh, the love main love interest in East Lynn. 
And oh, right. And a critic once joked that he played the butler because he has he's not a very emotive guy. He is like the quintessential British stiff upper lip guy. And, right. you, and you could see why that could attract somebody like Lily, like, ooh, I want to like melt that frosty exterior. But it's really hard to get a kind of hot chemistry going. So I think the best acting Dietrich has is not with him. It's when she learns that he is being held by uh, Chang and she's panicking and she's praying. Um, Cause otherwise it's like not a lot to play off of work. But anyways, that's my little. Yeah, thing. that's, yeah. that's we could, true. We could talk about that more when we get to acting. <laughs> okay. Um, so once Chang is left alone, Hui Fei appears out of the shadow and stabs him to death. Um, and this is following after um, after Dr. Captain Harvey has punched Chang. He leaves Marlene and Dietrich alone, but he then turns his attentions to Hui Fei. That's right. And, um, and off-screen assaults Hui Fei. And that's when you see her return with this cold look. And she immediately just kind of very calmly goes, pulls a knife out of her luggage and makes her way back to the little, um, I guess it's kind of like a train station that they're occupying right now. Yeah, like kind of a broken down one. Yeah. Yeah. And she just steps out of the shadows and stabs him several times. Stabs him just very... And then very coldly as she walks out, says, I just killed Chang and goes back to the train and waits for it to take off. Like, yep, that's right. I'm the MVP here. Out of my way. Yeah, she's uh, she's pretty cool. I like her. In the chaos that follows, uh, Hui Fei, Lily and Harvey manage to escape aboard the train to Shanghai. Carmichael comes to Lily's defense in front of Harvey and the others, saying that she saw Lily praying for Harvey. So there must be some un- misunderstanding in regards to uh, the captain doctor kind of believing that she had turned coat on him and was willingly going to go with Chang. And all the other passengers are saying the same thing, like, what a treasonous slut. Not not that they could say slut on film back then, but basically. It was implied. And, um, you know, Harvey is like right there with them, uh, talking smack about her. And uh, Carmichael, to his defense, steps up and goes, no, I think she's nice. Yeah, they kind of reverse roles. Because earlier... Captain Dr. Harvey was um, defending her to defending him. her. Yeah. Defending her to Carmichael. And now the, the roles have reversed how the turns have tabled. <laughs> um, so when uh, Carmichael speaks to her privately, Lily confesses that she agreed to be Chang's mistress only to save Harvey's eyesight, but makes Carmichael promise not to tell Donald. And I think, yeah, she, she at first I was kind of like, Hold back a little bit by that. It's kind of like, why doesn't she just tell him? Yeah. And um, Lily says that she has, he has to love her in a way where she just, where, she, where he trusts her. Where she doesn't have to explain herself. Right. And so she explains that love must be built on faith. And if Harvey doesn't have faith in her without knowing the full story, then they'd never work out. Which, you know, has a point. But, you know, it could also get into some scary territory. It's like, yeah, babe, I I blew all that money and all that. But you got to just trust me. 
So it, it could go both ways yeah, pretty I, badly. I think, but I feel like in this context, I get her. I get where she's coming from. She's been shat on by society so much for the kind of life she lives that she's like, look, if any guy is going to be with me, he's just got to roll with it and trust me. I get that. Yeah. Um, it's a it's an interesting question, and I would have respected her, uh, the character, either way. I would have, too. I mean, it's a stressful situation. Emotions were high. You can just explain that you had to do this to save his eyesight. Yeah. But uh, but he opts not to, which we can respect. Yeah. Uh, Carmichael keeps his word, but tells Harvey that Lily's worth 10 of him and that he's a fool. Which is his best character moment. Yeah, he really develops in because it's not like she says, like, I'm going to be a virtuous woman now and do X, Y and Z and blah, blah, blah. But he respects that she was able to. She did this uh, selflessly. Yeah, I think he kind of finally slowly starts to get that even if someone leads a life style that he disapproves of, there is more to the story. Mm -hmm. And that doesn't mean that that there is something wrong with her character. So some some good like little side character development there that I'm a fan of. Yeah. When they arrive at the station, finally. Harvey follows Lily to a store where she buys him a watch. The watch she'd given him years ago was left behind in the whole chaos, and she wants to replace it. He says the watch is nothing without her, and he apologizes for losing faith, faith in her. They reconcile and kiss. So Carmichael does get to him, I think. And also, I, yeah. he has to know deep down that something must have been going on. That explains why she did what she did. Yeah. In in many ways, Carmichael is correct in saying that he's a fool because yeah. it's not like Lily was really into Chang when he was making advances on her. So clearly something had to have happened. Yeah. And I think it's yeah, I agree. I think it's a, it's a fun kind of like flipped expectations. When we first meet Harvey and Lily, you know, she's the uh, the risk taker, the one who's. Uh, you know, live this life, you know, free of society's uh, uh, rules. And he's kind of, you know, the strict, proper um, one who plays by all the rules. And yet he's the one who flies off the handle right. and, uh, you know, punches Chang and uh, makes snap judgments. Whereas she's the one who kind of, even though she's frantic for him, she keeps her head. Right. And uh, both she and her and Hui Fei do. Hui Fei, uh, Hui Fei, who at the end, I love it. Uh, you know, she's called a hero in all the newspapers and all these photographers like want to, you know, talk to her and interview her. And she just wants none of it. It's great. She's like, yeah, because what I love about her character and Lily's is they're not looking for some redemption arc. Right. You know, she's like, I think if you, know, you get the feeling with Anime Wong's character that she's just like, you know, your praise is kind of hollow to me because where were you when, you know, I was probably struggling in the streets where I was just trying to stay alive. Right. And you, all you didn't respect me before, but now that I've, you know, killed my, my rapist. Yeah. Frankly. Um, and really, I think part of the story that people were missing in this, and I don't know how, how deeply the movie was intending to go into this or not, but, um, they respect her for killing a revolutionary, but not a not a rapist, because that's yes. not out. And I feel like. I feel like in that situation, that probably mattered to her more. I think there is a very 
clever, subtle social commentary going on throughout this movie because mm-hmm. we have these shots, these takeaway shots while the train is on the tracks, taking us from first class to other compartments of the train where, you know, people are just crowded into the box cars. Uh, the, you know, the not first class passengers who are all right. Chinese right. forced to be in crammed in box cars in a train in their own country while the predominantly white first class pa- passengers you know, get to have it much nicer conditions. Yeah, nice dining car. Nice dining which car. Is, uh, even better than Amtrak, I which mean, is not bad. No, and the two like Chinese first class passengers are viewed only with suspicion by the other passengers. So it's there is some, like even though obviously Warner Olin's presence is not great, and there are you know is obviously some casual racism that's not called out throughout. I think, you know, there are there are some efforts on Sternberg's and the writer's parts to kind of without saying so, probably because, again, the censors wouldn't allow them to actually tackle racism and classism head on. Right. But some kind of like sort of silent efforts to kind of portray that. So it was, like I said, a wild ride of a movie. Yeah. And also, I think every. Prior to to him turning evil, like you kind of you have a respect for Chang. And I want to choose that it's the white half of him that decides to be evil later. <laughs> I mean, probably. <laughs> <laughs> there, There's that sense of entitlement. That sense of entitlement. Right. Oh, I mean, obviously, there are monsters of every race and creed. So, you know, it's not bad to have an evil Chinese character, especially when you have like a badass character like Hui Fei, uh, right. like there. But it would have, again, also been nice to just have, you know, more of a Chinese cast in this movie set in China. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I am, I guess what I'm trying to point out is that he wasn't like this flat, lusty foreigner type character that right. can come out in some of these movies sometimes. Uh, he's a little bit more complicated than that, but um, but they didn't make him uh, completely foreign anyway. So right, I do wish more time had been spent on his like less time spent with this kind of like more comedic aspect with like Mrs. Haggerty, and uh, more time spent on like Henry Chang and his uh, motivations. And uh, also, yeah, you don't Huifei. really learn. You don't really learn what the revolution is about. No, I mean, I tried to kind of look up uh, what was going on. It was a civil war, basically, that technically never ended. There were never any treaties signed, never any like official armistice. So, like, technically, people are like, I guess it's just sort of a cold war at this point. It's just over. Yeah, sort of. I mean, it, it sort of kind of went off and on, you know, the Japanese then invaded during World War II. So sure. that kind of added a whole other aspect. So, you know, I mean, there was a lot of suffering going on. And I think there is just, you know, little peaks at that throughout, you know, kind of symbolized by, uh, you know, the Chinese on the train who are right. probably have been fighting and are just kind of weary and get the luxurious compartment of. Right you know, sitting outside on the boxcar as the train goes. So Right. And the uh the gambler, Sam Salt, at the very beginning kind of gambles like, well, I bet we don't even make it to Shanghai because of this revolution. Yeah. I was like, well then why are you here? Well he's a gambler. He 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 craves that thrill. So yeah, all these people, you kind of wonder I mean, I think it's just it's 
another little subtle dig maybe at just how capitalism plays out and that these white people are in relatively safe positions because they have exploited probably a lot of what's going on in China to suit them. You know, Mrs. Haggerty has this boarding house and uh, Eric Bauman's selling uh, opium. So And so it's kind of like this whole episode is almost kind of them having to, you know, pay some sort of consequences, even if like, you know, Mrs. Haggerty and Waffles get off unscathed. But, you know, they're still pretty frightened. Yeah, it it reminds me of a punch cartoon um, that shows this uh this kind of british aristocracy family having this like luxurious picnic out in a park and one of these uh very you know snooty women just kind of like leans back and saying i would enjoy this if it weren't for russia <laughs> and this is at a, at a period with uh i think it was like during the the russian revolution and everything like that so it's kind of like they have the luxury of being being kind of this like distance frightened of yeah. like it's an issue rather than something that's happening. And in a way it blinds them to the very real danger they've now put themselves in. Right. It's like, well, that won't happen to me because I'm in a first class. I'm, I'm white. I'm British or I'm American. I'm protected by my consulate is what they all believe is what and they all believe. But guess what? Henry Chang don't give a crap. That's that is true. And if it weren't for Hui Fi, you'd probably all be dead. Yep. Pretty much. Um, so that's the summary of the movie. It ends with uh, with smooches. With smooches. And um, without any real, real resolution to uh, to the revolution. But that's not the, the main story after all. It's the... Um, Two white lovers. <laughs> there we go. Yeah. Um, so shall we get into rating this? And Let's do this. See how... Uh, I'm going to... It's going to be... This is going to be a hard one for me. It's going to think be, so. Yeah. It's like, I feel like I'm going to have like qualifiers for each category. Like I like this, but then there was this. So that's going to be, it's going to be hard. Let's, let's, let's dive into it. Let's pull off this bandaid. Okay. So our first category is acting. See, yeah, I'm split in the middle because like, I love Dietrich and Wong. It's like, they're not even really acting. It's like, they're like, it's like they're being themselves and they're just kind of like they know they're kind of the outsiders in the plot and probably mm-hmm. being a German woman. And I'm not sure if she's Chinese American or Chinese British. I should have looked that up. They were probably you no know, outsiders in Hollywood. And they kind of are. You, you get this kind of rapport between them. That's very casual, and very different from the rest of the vibe of the movie. It feels very natural. Their performances. Yes. There's no affectations. And. Like when in her scenes, in Dietrich's scenes with Brooks, it's like you could tell that Dietrich probably isn't really that into Brooks, but she like so it's almost kind of like teasing him. Yeah, well, and it kind of in a weird way matches his coldness, but in a different way. Like yeah. her her way of being standoffish is being kind of kind of seductive, kind of flirting. But at the same time, kind of mocking his coldness yeah. by being um, by being distant. By yeah, be distant and cold in a totally different way, like you said. Um, Brooks, I feel like he's not a good actor. He doesn't have much charisma, but it helps in 
when he does have the few scenes where he flies off the handle when he punches Chang, and then when he's very like hurt and derisive of Lily afterwards, mm-hmm. it is almost effective because you do see a flicker of something in him. Um, so in a way, it's almost like a sneakily good performance. I think he does the cold facade thing very well, and I feel like I have met people like like the good captain doctor but um yeah it's just not that engaging of a character but at the same time i don't feel like it's unrealistic i guess i would prefer him to give the performance that he did give over something more over the top yeah it wasn't it wasn't distracting to me it was, it was just kind of like unengaging. It was unengaging. Like he sees this woman he's been madly in love with for the first time in five years. It's like, oh, hello, Madeline. Like there's no real like heat there. Right, right. Um, Which maybe he's concealing and holding concealing, back. And maybe it's only unleashed with her when they're, you know, in each other's arms. So it's like, yeah, none of the performances. I mean, Oland is good uh, for, you know the unfortunate casting choice of him, but yeah, no other performance really like intrigues me beyond uh, Wong's and Dietrich's and in some ways Brooks. So for them, I guess I'll give it a six. Give it a six. Yeah. Hmm. See, I was going to go with seven actually, because I was I was that impressed by Naomi Wong's. She and, was very good. And uh, Marlena Dietrich. And I don't think it was like a stellar performance, but I think Clive Brooks did. He matched the character in my head. And maybe that's not really a testament to his acting ability. It's just that his acting ability kind of matched the character. You know, yeah, I could just be too much in the kind of romantic movie mindset of wanting someone who emotes a little more, who's a little more passionate. And that just might not be what he and Sternberg were going for. And that's fine. It's just my own expectations. So yeah, I you, respect yeah. your six. You respect my six. Are you still going to give it a seven? I'm going to give it a seven. I think that's fair. Okay. So our next category is writing. How was the writing on this one? Again, you know, the more I think about it, the more I respect it, because I think there were subtle touches throughout to point out that this, because there is this kind of just eerie sort of dreamlike quality to this movie. And I, you know, that oh, has a lot to do with Dietrich and Wong being kind of detached and uh, mixed in with these very kind of caricature sort of characters. But I think that's because they are kind of everyone in the first class passenger compartment is removed and detached from what's really yeah. going on in this country, which looks to be pretty horrific at this stage. So. I think I think I'll give it an eight. An eight? Yeah. I mean, some of the I think a little too much time is spent on the kind of um, comedy of like the Mrs. Haggerty trying and uh, the other uh, passages that I feel like honestly less time could have been spent with them and more time with uh, kind of the more main characters. I get right. that it was supposed to be an ensemble piece, but none of them really were. They, at, at the same level they were set dressing i feel like mm-hmm. and i think that was kind of i think that was kind of the point it was i mean they were supposed to be caricatures so i think in that capacity it it worked so yeah no good job on the writing now on to the third category oh, what, what are you giving writing 
Oh, excuse me. Yes. On writing, I'm going to give them another seven. Okay. A little lower this time than mine. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, not that I thought they were bad. I thought they were, you know, pretty good. Yeah. So, uh, and now onto our third category, moving on cinematography. <laughs> when it started, I thought I was going to give it a better score than I am because I feel like apparently I read the trivia that Sternberg kind of took over the cinematography than whoever was originally assigned to it. And I think honestly, some of this, he kind of relied too heavily on kind of superimposing some images and it just wasn't done well enough because I couldn't quite tell it was happening in either mm. image a lot of the time. But he does have some great shots. And I think, you know, of like, you know, the contrast between uh, the kind of order of the first class passengers and the kind of chaos in the streets right. uh, that they pass. So I'll give it a seven. A seven? Yeah. I thought I was going to give it a 10 when it started because it was beautifully, you know, started with some beautiful shots. But it, there were just some confusing jumbled angles that they got in there. I am actually going to give it an eight. OK. Um, what I really liked about it is you had some just like some nice compositions. But what I felt was really effective was. When you're talking with the first class passengers, um, especially when they're alone, there is this kind of stagey fakiness to it almost where it's just mm. like, and now we are looking at this set and now we are looking yeah. at this set. And that's in contrast to the outside scenes with uh, where you see this situation of a revolution going on and people living their lives and they're being shooting at one point and the chaos and whenever there's kind of whenever these characters encounter the real world whenever they're taken out of their luxurious train cars there's a different feel to the yes. cinematography and i just thought that was that was done really well in addition to just the shots being nicely composed exactly throughout and it wasn't like it wasn't like one set of shots was done poorly and the other one was done well it was like two different styles of composition that contrasted with each other really effectively so yeah you're right when you get to the first class passengers it feels not fake but you can feel the artifice yes yes and you know which kind of is a callback to the fact that you know most of the characters are like very stagey like kind of caricatures Right, right. A and good contrast. Whereas outside, all the kind of like the extras and things like that, they feel very realistic. Mm -hmm. Exactly. So anyway, that's my justifi justification for it. No, that's a good one. Um, And what do we think about for the fourth category, their overall achievement? How well do the acting, writing, and cinematography come together? Well, you know, it's funny. I think that it must be how I react to Joseph von Sternberg's movies, because this is how I felt about Blue Angel. Right after it was mm -hmm. done, I was like, huh. Like, it didn't seem to make much of an impression on me at the time. But then you start thinking about it, like, afterwards, as the days go by, like, well, that was something. So, I mean, it's like a delayed reaction is what I have to his movies so far. Um, so I guess just because of the sheer fascination i'll give it a seven sheer fascination seven a sheer fascination seven 
Um, let me see here. Overall, how did I feel about this movie? I think I'm going to match your seven. Yeah. Um, it was better than middle of the road, mm-hmm. but it wasn't like, oh my gosh, I need to show everyone this movie. It's like, <laughs> I could say this because I'm German. Uh, there is a very kind of German detached way in which Sternberg, it's like a, a it's like a scientist making a movie about a civilization they don't quite understand emotionally, <laughs> but they get that there's something going on that needs to be captured. And that's kind of the feeling I come away with. I mean, fascinating, worth seeing, but, you know, not really something I'd totally be into seeing again. Yeah, I can see that. I can see that. Um. So, with that out of the way, we're going to start on our b- b- bonus rounds. <laughs> bonus round. Let's see if this thing is going to pick up some bonus points to help it pull up its score. It is currently sitting at a 57. Oh, okay. Um, if I did that right, let's hope so. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Costumes and set. I think it's going to do well on this one. Five. Oh my God. I, you mean, you were there with me. You heard me just exclaim every time Marlena Dietrich would like change her outfit like every couple minutes on this train. And it was just something more flamboyant, more stark, more striking. I mean, she enters, like you said, like the Raven Queen in the movie with like what looks like these shiny black feathers like attached to her shoulders. And there's one scene where she's just like, for no real reason, strikes this dramatic pose and profile at a certain point. She has like these huge white kind of boa around her and it just she knew how to wear an outfit and all those outfits were perfect and of course I think a lot of effort was put into the sets of the train Mm -hmm. and the station and capturing I mean they obviously did not film in China but you really did feel I mean yeah like like it it didn't feel like China California no so yeah five 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 I'm gonna match your five because Mongina Dietrich does like on this train, apparently change every two to four hours. Well, what else are you going to do? You didn't have smartphones to look at back then. And and you're right. Each one of the outfits is perfect. Yep. And, you know, everyone else kind of wears what their standard uniform. Yeah, standard but... uniform. I mean, Anime Wong gets some excellent costumes. Oh, too. yeah, she, she does, to too. Wear. Yeah, she uh, I, I love her hair. Oh, yeah. Yeah, she's 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 done really well. Yeah. They're both attractive ladies. They are. They are. And um, they dress them up very well. They do. They do. It's their movie, really. Like, honestly, I would have just been in it for watching, like, Road Trip with Marlena Dietrich and Anna May Wong. That'd be a fantastic movie. I just love it when there's one scene, I think it's after she's attacked by uh, Che, where Wong is about to stab herself and uh, Dietrich stops her. And Wong, she, like, throws the knife away and it's almost like this pout on her face mm-hmm. like well that didn't work moving on and it's just like that kind of like cool detachment might have been like insufferable in another movie but just really works here yeah it neither of them were taking this movie seriously and i respect that <laughs> for some reason <laughs> yeah but but it works it worked but it worked it's yeah. kind of like without effort they or at least it felt like without effort maybe it was a very difficult acting position to be in i I'm not a professional actor, so I don't know. But they felt so natural that it it was almost like, like you didn't detect the effort. 
No. Or you kind of did in Clive Brooks. You did. You did. Like the effort to appear so stony and cold. Like you just get the feeling that these two actresses had had a time of it, had been through probably things not dissimilar to what Lily and uh, Hui Fei have been through. But they uh, and they both kind of know this is their vehicle. And you know what? It's kind of like, well, take me or leave me. This is how I'm going to do it. And it works. Yeah, it works really well. Confidence can take you far. Okay, our next category is boldness. What risks does this movie take that pay off? I am going to give it a four. I was going to give it a full five, but because of the damn censors, I think a lot was taken out that would have made it even more... um, What's the word I'm looking for? Not scandalous. Daring. Daring, thank you. Uh, Bold, even. Um, (laughs) I mean, I think, you know, Carmichael... I, I like what is done with his character, but it probably was taking kind of the easy way out. Like, we got to redeem the Reverend. Um, I would have liked to have known how exactly Major Leonard was disgraced. That would have been an interesting um, yeah. critique. And, you know, as much as I like the little subtle touches of, like, showing how the other passengers have to ride this train, I think it would have been worth actually having, like, a Chinese actor play Henry Chang yeah. and add just more of a voice outside of uh, Hui Fei, even though she was a great voice, having more more attention brought to that. Right, the, right, the right. Having them play a larger role in this. Yes. Um, but still, many risks were taken with this. So, right, you know, right. They, they get a four. <laughs> I, I'm going to give them a, a three because they are daring and mm-hmm. they did do a lot of uh, things that I think really towed the line for the censors. Yeah. And it would not be as compelling or believable a film without it. Yes. It, I am going to take off. um, Let's see. One point is definitely for uh, yellow face, even though they try to patch it over with saying that he's half white. Right. Um, so I guess they knew enough to to not completely excuse it, but which is they, better than they did in the Charlie Chan movies. But still, <laughs> right, right, um, definitely has to cost them a, at least a point or two mm-hmm. on on that point and the other reasons that you mentioned as well. Yeah. Um, so next chance for bonus points is Legacy. Legacy, I'm going to give it a five because it was a popular movie, and I think it kind of helped bring like the kind of train romances and intrigues uh more popular i mean agatha christie was writing then i'm sure it was a little inspired by that um it was actually inspired in part by a real life incident that happened where a train was taken hostage uh in china with uh like american important american and and british uh citizens on board i think they all got off okay um but i think it you know I think it had a good legacy. I think it really um, kind of helped cement Dietrich's kind of character. I mean, Shanghai Lily, I think, is one of her more popular portrayals. A lot of her lines, uh, like, a, took more than one man to change my name to Shanghai Lily, is considered one of her immortal lines. So for that alone, I'll give it the full full dose. Full five. I am also going to give it a five. And part of that also is I feel like it was a strong influence on Hitchcock. Mm, I could just that. that kind of that intrigue sort of thing going on and of course there's uh i forgot the name of the the movie lady on a train yep which it felt like that it did um, it did yeah just that intrigue and tension going on hitchcock later does it i think better mm-hmm. in my opinion yeah 
but you can kind of tell that that movie drew upon this one, I feel like. Right, exactly. Okay. And our next chance for bonus points is longevity. How well does this movie stand up over time? <laughs> Again, it's it's an acquired taste, this kind of movie. It's kind of like Blue Angel in that sense. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it's a lot like you can, it is not surprising. It's more of your typical Hollywood script. But mm-hmm. I feel like Von Sternberg brought his own stamp to it that made it, you know, did give it that kind of surreal quality that I think, you know, a lot of audiences today, I think would be like, huh? A lot of audiences would dig it. So I think I'll split in the middle and give it a three. Give it a three? Yeah. Yeah, I think I'll give it a three as well. Um, it's obviously Yellowface does not, you know, doesn't hold up over any time. Um, and I do feel like um, maybe some of the stuff is is feels a little bit dated, especially kind of like the, the racism that we get from from uh, Sam Salt is egregious. Yeah. And you uh, could tell they wanted his character to be kind of lovable, but it's just like... It doesn't I mean, Eugene Talent does his best, but it just does not. Yeah. So, not bad, but not not mind-blowing. Um, it didn't really feel modern. It felt modern for the time, if that makes sense. I agree. It felt modern for 1931, but doesn't feel like modern for now. I mean, I think like a lot of stuff from the Weimar Republic, uh, which is, was basically a holdover, it was a lot more sexually liberated than a lot of movies mm-hmm. at that time in Hollywood. Um, a little a little more feminist edge to it. Right. Um, so, yeah, it's it's progress never comes in a full neat package where all the parts are there. Right. Right. So you take some, you, you lose some, you win some kind of situation, basically. Yeah, I would agree. So our last chance for bonus points is uh, technical. You know, I think I was. <laughs> it's tough because, you know, this is speaking of, you know, longevity and legacy. This is one of this is like the best print we've had in a while because it was Criterion Collection. Mm-hmm. So, like, you know, it seems kind of unfair to give this a really high technical rating when so many other movies might have been on par. But we just don't <laughs> know because the print was so bad. But, you know, unfortunately, I do have that comparison in mind. So I'm going to have to give it a five. The sound quality was great. Uh some of the shots had to have taken some technical skill. Yes. So, yeah, technically, it's a technically a fantastic movie, but, you know, it does come at some emotional detachment. Yeah, I am. I'm going to stop just shy of the technical um, just because I felt like. Um, maybe the scenes where they're fighting didn't feel terribly real. Yeah, um, I guess that's yeah. And that, yeah. and there's some shots that are maybe a little bit too dark, even with the Criterion restoration. And you know the superimposing, like I mentioned too. You know, it changed mine to a four too. Okay. Like, yeah. Okay, so you know, pretty good. Yeah, no, I mean, pretty good. I mean, Definitely. especially if you can get the Criterion version, which I highly recommend. Hmm. Uh. So we have our total score. We have a total score of ninety-eight. Wow. Yeah. So not. Bad. Chugging along there, little Shanghai Express. Thanks. You think you can, and you think you did. Absolutely. I'm just checking. Let's see. 
how how they measure up to some other people. Um, <laughs> um, that puts it closest, I believe, to Broadway Melody. Oh, that's which weird. is a very different movie. Yeah, it certainly is. What would it have been like if this had been a musical? Oh man, oh, that would have been interesting. That would have been terrifyingly wonderful. Uh, so, final question. Is it worthy of a Notsker nomination, oh. our own very special movie award podcast? I've been dreading this question. Movie award? I've been dreading this one. I think I'm going to have to do what we did with Blue Angel and say it, it earns its own special, artistic, technical Notsker. But ugh, it's so early in the game, too. Um, I mean, I've seen Grand Hotel, the winner. Um, so I know that, you know, that that's coming up, but I think I'll pass on the Notsker for this just because it was, although should I? It did have yellow face, which is kind of that what's is tipping me into the no category. In the no category. Not, not that it's, not that it's like, I understand 100% why it got nominated by the Academy in 1931. Yes. I mean, I think in 1931, yes, but with hindsight. Or 32. It's 32. We're in 32 yeah. now. That's right. Oh, my God. As we've learned through 2020, 2021, what is a year? <laughs> um, but no, I think I'm going to go with a no. Okay, and I will agree. So that is a no for Shanghai Express. Good job. Good effort. Good effort. You you are... The professor made a very good social experiment with this movie, I feel like. is is It feels... Much like Blue Angel, like a social experiment almost, instead of like an actual movie. That makes yeah, sense. Yeah, that makes sense. That's good. So if That's I were a, a college, to if this were like a college project, A plus, but for for our prestigious Snotsker, I think we just need to give it its own special little technical category. And yeah, uh, a thumbs up, a but, thumbs but up. not a Notsker. Not a Notsker. I, uh, you know, don't cry too hard, Von Sternberg's ghost. <laughs> we keep doing this to him. I know, I know. Poor guy. I I wouldn't be surprised if we see more of his stuff, though. Um, oh yeah, yeah, for sure. He's definitely a capable director. Yeah, and I think he, uh, you know, this was his era, so wouldn't be surprised in the following years in the '30s we get more of his movies to watch, and maybe we'll be uh, just more and more impressed. Absolutely. So, is that our episode? That is our episode, I believe. Uh, Shanghai Express. You know, I mean definitely worth a watch it'll make you go huh and make you think about it long after if nothing else seriously dietrich's costumes are to die for absolutely so if thank you for listening and uh if you want to contact us you can contact us on twitter at comeback a star you can email us if you're old-fashioned yeah at comeback a star podcast at gmail.com and uh, we do have a Facebook page that is a little frequented, but I have tried to post the, the episodes <laughs> there at least. Um, I think I forgot this last one. Yeah, that, you know what? We, we have time. The Internet is always there. <laughs> it is always there. And uh, if you've enjoyed this episode or any of our previous episodes, please, please share the podcast with some friends yeah. and uh, maybe leave us a review on iTunes. We love to hear back from folks. Absolutely. And if you disagree with us, we'd also love to hear about that. Or if you agree with us. Yeah, that, that would uh, feel good, too. Yeah, we, we would also be pleased by that. So um, 
I think that's it for now. All right, folks. Uh, hang in there. Uh, don't get taken hostage on a train during a civil war in China. And uh, stay cool, aloof, and ready to stab. Yep. Stab. Stab people who attack you. Stab responsibly. Stab responsibly. That's a, that's a better message. That's a great tagline for the whole everything. All right, everyone. Goodbye. Bye. Bye.